The swamp without a still is just a tent. A martini without olives doesn't quite make it. And Mash Minute is intended for mature audiences. Put on your headphones. Listen for the tone of your favorite podcast, Mash Minute. Well, it's a minute-by-minute detailed analysis. Of the movie without which the series wouldn't exist. Megan and Tierney, and guest will make three. Goddamn Army, MASH Minute. Welcome back to MASH Minute, where we analyze the 1970 Robert Altman film one football fun minute at a time. I'm Megan Coleman. I'm Tierney Steele. And I'm Gary Roby. Hi, Gary! Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Gary, I'm on a podcast with you again. It's been a it's long been time. <laughs> way too long, Tierney. I think the last time we recorded was, oh my goodness, I don't know if it was even my show or your show at this point. Yeah. It's been over a year. Chamber of <laughs> too Secrets, long. I'm guessing. I don't too know. Too long. <laughs> yes. Gary is joining us from Harry Potter Minute, among others. Is that yeah, still yeah. how we credit you? <laughs> so, uh, you know, I have Ferris Bueller Minute, which is done. Like, we're not touching that feed, I don't think. <laughs> I don't have any plans to do anything for that feed again. So, like, that's there. And if people want to listen to it, they can find it on Dueling Genre. But uh, I'm also doing currently Scott Pilgrim Minute on the Dueling Genre Patreon feed for only a dollar a month. So if people want to listen to me, Scott Corelli, Cassandra Fredrickson, Nick Jimenez, and Brian Green talk about Ferris uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. It's only a dollar a month. And that show's only barely about the movie, but it's fun. We like it. <laughs> As all the best movies by minutes shows are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've been doing, we we just, you know, we just got back into the swing of things with that show. Mm-hmm. And we're like less than an hour into the movie, but we've been doing it for two years. So <laughs> it's You're a You're pacing yourselves. <laughs> yeah, we're taking our time. Aw. And uh, let's put you on the spot. Any... Ooh idea when Prisoner of Azkaban is going to start up? Hopefully very soon. (laughs) I am just with all the, I mean, I don't want to get into like too much of the personal drama, but there's been like a lot of stuff in (laughs) both my and Victoria's life in the last couple years. But uh, I'm finally in a position where I think that we're like just about to jump into recording season three of Harry Potter Minute. I could not be more excited for Prisoner of Azkaban. Oh my goodness. So, like, that's my favorite movie of the series. Like, once we get into it, it's going to be, like, a nice deep dive after, especially after this long. The anticipation Mm -hmm. has been growing. So, hopefully soon, but I don't have a date. Like, we haven't, I think I only have two weeks recorded. So, we're uh, we're getting there. We were recording so far in advance. I loved our summer episodes that were Megan and I complaining about how cold (laughs) it was. It's so cold. Always a good time. I (laughs) wish I had... No, my plan actually... So it's probably going to be at least a few months before season three happens because my plan is to have like a good buffer Mm -hmm. this time around. When our schedules between Victoria and I were more consistent, it was really easy to be like, this is the day we're recording each week. Mm -hmm. But we went from season one to Ferris Bueller to season two of Harry Potter with only like a week gap between recordings Mm, yeah which meant that by the end of season two we were recording the week episodes were airing and it was exhausting and like i like listeners being able to comment on our facebook page or in our group and respond to things that they bring up over the weekend in next week's episodes but i don't think i can maintain that for the (laughs) rest of our show yeah yeah we still have seven seasons to go (laughs) so (laughs) 
It's a podcast lot. Podcast forever. Yeah. Podcast forever. For real, we haven't even talked about Fantastic Beasts. I don't know what that's going to be. Oh. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see. And, and Megan <laughs> and I still don't know what's going to happen after this, but we're almost done with this movie. Today we're going to talk about minute 105 of MASH. 105 out of 116. Which yeah, I was looking through the list you sent me and was like, oh, this is way later in the movie than I realized this was. <laughs> this is. And and let me let me just say it and then uh listeners will under will talk and the listeners will understand that tone in my voice. This is a minute that begins with Blake trying to hear what Hammond is yelling at him from across the field, and it ends with hurt players on both sides being moved around as the game turns dirty. And uh <laughs> So, Gary, let's start today talking about what you know about MASH. <laughs> so, let me just tell you. The I have seen I have seen episodes of the show, but I have not like watched the show. Okay. My stepdad when I was like a little little kid, like 7, 8, 9, watched the show a lot on TV, which means I saw it in like the periphery. Mhm. I would sit downstairs and be reading Harry Potter or something and it was on but I don't really have like a big connection I recently saw an episode on TV at my mom's house and my mom told me like oh yeah like my dad like my grandfather was like a a big fan of this show too he was a soldier in in Korea just like had an identification for a lot of the characters in the show yeah but other than the fact it's a military show, a medical military, from what I, my understanding mm-hmm. of the show. And then I watched the minute you sent me and it's football. <laughs> <laughs> so, <sighs> and, yeah. and, and I, you know, it's kind of okay because all of my football knowledge also comes from that same grandfather who served in Korea. <laughs> so like, there's still a connection, I suppose, but this was not what I thought this minute was going to be. Oh my goodness. So yes, I will catch you up a little bit on how we got to this football game. The (laughs) general, the Hammond who is yelling in this blue sweatshirt, the other coach, he has had a football team for a while. In fact, they reference really early in the movie, like, oh, we couldn't come to the phone. He's watching football. And so his team goes around and they do these ridiculous bets with other teams. Wow. Like, it's this major gambling operation. We did the inflation (laughs) calculator and it's like almost 50000 dollars riding on this wow. game. Wow. Yeah. It's something he's been doing for like a couple years, going around to different units. And when the guys at MASH find out about it, they're like, well, we got to put together a football team. <laughs> but the problem being, none of them are very good. <laughs> so they asked their coach, their colonel, Colonel Blake, the one who has this little uh, megaphone. Yeah. <laughs> They told him, ask for this specific neurosurgeon to be transferred here. And then when he arrives, they're like, hey, guess what? This person played in pro football. (laughs) (laughs) And he just also happens to be a neurosurgeon who was in Korea. Incredible. (laughs) They have a few players that like played in college years ago and like at least understand what's supposed to be happening in the game. And then one good player. That's incredible. Yeah. What they did was they kept out their good player the first half of the game. So they looked really terrible. That's why the scores like run up so high on the exact team side. And then at halftime, they doubled the bet. And Hammond was like, well, of course, we're crushing you guys. And then they put in the professional who's just like running circles around them. Got it. 
So that's where we are now. Hammond's yelling uh, across the room. He's like, oh, you brought in a ringer, did you? Which is a bit rich because he also like was <laughs> asking for players who had football experience to be transferred to his unit this whole time. Got and- it. But they got like the better of the... Yeah, yeah. They I have, love, like, I love the term <laughs> spear chucker. it's like silly and i don't really like maybe i'm missing a context but you are so was i (laughs) oh no oh no i'm like suddenly afraid that i said i like this what happened what did i miss (laughs) it's racist oh no he's a black guy and they call him spear chucker never mind i don't like this anymore To be fair, that basically was every person in this film's reaction to <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, there's a lot, there's like a, what is it, when they're in practice and he first comes, it's yes. uh, the Southern, so, the Southern doctor even says to him, can I even call you that? Yes. Wow. <laughs> so the actor, the black, in the line, what uh, Jones, his last name, what he says is, oh, they call me that because I used to throw the javelin in high, like in college or high school or whatever. Okay. But like, that's clearly not where this came from. Oh, like, no. That is a throw aside so that innocent young tyrannies don't realize oh, that no. it's bad. But once you know that, isn't the little uh that Gary Berghoff does before saying it so much more hilarious? Yes, he's yes, because like, he knows it's I'm not gonna say right. this on on screen. <laughs> I guess forever uh, this will be a thing. <laughs> right? Yeah, I, uh, I, I. It's in the script. What do you want me to do? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That sucks. I thought this was just like some fun, playful world building. We're going to make up a name for this thing. No. (laughs) You said it was from track. It's not our fault. (laughs) (laughs) What I do love, I I think I've mentioned it already. I hope we recorded a little bit out of order. So I hope I've already said this like in order on the show. But the actor who plays Spear Checker, Dr. Jones. (laughs) Uh-huh. Uh, Fred Williamson said in an interview later, I, w- oh, I don't have it in front of me of where, you know, I wasn't a fan of the name, but I knew I could rise above it, which is like Aww. the coolest thing you could say. Yeah. It's like, oh, heck yeah. Good for him. So it, it just, but one of our guests was like, how did they cat, like all these actors went along with it. Like, did no one say no? <laughs> it's like, well, that's yeah. what it is. I don't know. Yeah, it's one of those things like I would never have thought about it. The fact that Radar goes, the identity of our, uh, and then he says it. Yeah. And so it's one of those little things where it's like, oh, wow. And it might just be the take they got chose or whatever. But yeah, and, and, and I like reading into it. I guess the thing that's interesting is like now looking back on this movie, Mm. like I said, I've never seen this movie before. I didn't know that that term had racist connotations. And like, where does it go from here? I I don't think I've heard it come up in any other movie that I've seen. But yeah, and it's never addressed. They had him. So when they adapted it for the television show, they actually have this character in the first few episodes and they still call him Spearchucker. And then like, no, he just disappears. Yep. It's a total oh, no. older brother on Happy Days thing. Yes. Like one day he leaves the OR and you just never see him, never again, see him again and no one ever talks about Yikes. it. Yikes. 
Not even a, oh, it's so nice. He, you know, he's back home. Nope, nothing. Nope. <laughs> That's Alan Alda was just like, nope, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> yeah, it must just be like, by the time the TV show was out and releasing, people had gotten just aware enough of like, hi. Hey, you maybe know what's this not isn't cool okay. To do? Yeah. Like, I want to give American culture that little tiny bit of credit of realizing like, maybe we shouldn't. I, I feel like it's the standard of American culture to figure it out ju- just that little bit too late. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, maybe we shouldn't have said that in this thing, or maybe we shouldn't have put that guy in that makeup. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> we'll just apologize later, right? That's yeah. fine. Right? Yeah. yeah. As long as we're as long as we're remorseful, it's okay, right? <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. Really? Wow. <laughs> it's a moment. It's uh yeah, it's hilarious. And I do like that for all that, you know, Jones is this amazing player and Hammond's all upset and we're, and it goes crazy. I like that Blake's like, you know, watch him make the extra point and then they don't. Yeah, it's and then they don't. It's not a complete, oh my gosh, everything's gonna be, fu-, you know, mm-hmm. they're still, they gotta fight for it. <laughs> Can I, I just thought, because we're talking about like, this guy actually turned out to be someone who used to be like in the NFL or something. Mm-hmm. I had a physics teacher in high school, this guy named Mr. Ubel, I don't remember his first name, who was my AP physics teacher, but we only had enough students in AP physics that year. We were like set aside in a corner during his regular freshman physics class. (laughs) And yeah, there were like eight of us. And then there were like 20 regular freshman physics students. And like the eight of us took the AP test. We had like our own curriculum and whatever, but it was really more like, here's your workbooks, do your thing while I teach this other <laughs> mm-hmm. class. But this guy, we uh, we looked him up and it turned out that he used to be the Olympic trainer for the Dutch track and field team. And he Whoa. played for like the Denver Broncos for a season and like oh had this whole weird storied history that wow. you would never know from like a high school physics teacher. Oh my God, that's amazing. And he's just like <laughs> living in my neighborhood in San Diego. Like it's no big deal. But he has this whole like career that is wild. Just bananas. And it's like just this conversation made me think of him. <laughs> I love that. That's a bit like, I, isn't it a weird thing when you realize like, oh, teachers are people. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. You had this whole life before you got here. Like what? Yeah, I oh do 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 do. I don't know how to transition to it, which is why I just went do 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 do. I did not realize <laughs> I've never understood the phrase "How do you like them apples?" Yes, and I grew up in the age of Goodwill Hunting, and it still makes no sense in this movie that predates that by over twenty years. <laughs> What is what? Yeah, what is that? What does it mean? What is this? <laughs> was Goodwill Hunting was Will Hunting quoting Mash? Oh, that would be amazing. Maybe. Good lord, please let that be what happened. <laughs> I huh, I wonder if I, you could find like where this came from. Uh, that's what I'm trying to find out. Yeah, Megan's a you, library, and we're on you it. <laughs> and me both. 
But yeah, I do love Hammond, who had ringers of his own, who has been, like, not cheating, but taking advantage every chance he gets. Like, you can't trust anybody. Oh, okay, <laughs> here we go. According to knowyourphrase.com, hey, who knew that was a oh. thing? It originates back to 1895. What? And the wow. quote from the Eagle from yes. September 26, 1895 is, Brian is this. the best cotton market in this section of the state and has received more cotton than any other town in this section. How do you like them apples? I hate that that's the end of the article. I like, know, right? Like, 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 give me more. What is he talking sense, about? At least we could know since 1895 we have all been confused about what it really means. <laughs> Like, we've never heard that before, but yeah, there's a ring to it, you know? I like that every generation has their inexplicable how-do-you-like-them-apples <laughs> pop culture moment. <laughs> like, every- it's like the sl- it's like the vampire slayer, but for confusing teenagers. Oh, okay, so according to, like, this other blog called Early Sports and Pop Culture History, blah, 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 it might be in place of saying, as they say over here. Huh. There's a lot of examples of it being used during World War One. Interesting. Some suggest that the word apple was associated with grenades and mortars used in trench warfare. Yikes. <laughs> it was a euphemism for, yeah, grenades and mortars. Mortar shells. That is so How do you like weird. them apples? How do you like them apples? That's so bizarre. <laughs> I mean, the intent of it is always clear, no matter who is it. Like, yeah. It's impossible to say without coming off as snarky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the thing. The, the implication of it is like, you have usurped the opposing party with something that they wouldn't have expected. How do you like them apples? Bet you yeah. didn't see this coming. Oh my god! I just, how could this not relate to apples at all in the origin <laughs> like at no point were apples involved well, okay so the, i'm gonna have to put this in the post up blog because this is like the longest blog post ever but there's a whole thing in world war one about plums and apples being nicknames for different types of mortars huh. okay. and grenades that and sometimes um i don't want to say gangster because that's like not correct but <laughs> like jerry rigging using apple and jam tin cans to make improvised mm. grenades, apparently. Mm. So, Interesting. yeah, it's there's a lot of pictures with this article too. Yeah, so <laughs> well, it makes sense that these uh, these military folks would be using this. Would quote know then. that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they so, know the slang. Yeah, so apparently, like, American soldiers picked it up, and then, you know, when they all came home, they mm -hmm. it spread everywhere. Else. It spread everywhere. Yes. Yeah. How do you like them apples? How do you like them <laughs> apples? Yeah, they have a picture from a cartoon from 1939 where some guy with a gun goes, yow, yow, how do you like them apples, you lugs? <laughs> wow. That sounds delightful. It's delightful in a weird sort of way. <laughs> well, yes, obviously. <laughs> also delightful is Radar's, isn't that illegal? Isn't that when illegal? When the is just crushed. And I love that Blake just like lowers his head in shame. <laughs> he has been so proud of his team. Like he is losing his mind with joy. And yet, <laughs> and yet it's not going to go. It's not going to be easy. And then we get the music. The oh, music. music. Oh my goodness. The music. <laughs> Johnny it's Mandel great. takes your thanks. <laughs> I feel like this is music I've heard at, like, actual high school football games. It's very, like, when they first came out, they were playing the John Philip Sousa stuff. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure this was written for the movie, but it definitely invokes that. Like, Yeah, it's absolutely of the same vein. Yeah. 
And we start to see everyone's getting taken out. Both teams have <laughs> stretchers. I guess if you're going to get injured and carried off the field on a stretcher, a football game between two medical units is a good place to be. Yeah. Yeah. True. I do like that Houlihan goes out with one of them. Yeah, she did. Did you notice that? I did notice that. I worry about how bad that player was hurt that <laughs> the head nurse decided to become involved. Because she's very into this football game. <laughs> Yeah. And you see a couple couple people being lowered on the sidelines. I am really growing to like this set. Maybe it's just because we've been here for so long. But <laughs> I like that you do feel like you're kind of in this little bowl of a football field. Mm. But mm. it's dressed really well. Like, there are so many spectators and all the trucks, like, lined up along the side of the road. I think you see when there's, like, a pass or something. The camera pans all the way along and you see, like, oh, there are all these army trucks lined up and people, like, leaning and watching. It just, it's its own little world. Very much feels like it could take place in, like, a neighborhood I grew up in. Uh, I have a stepdad who's in the Navy and has been for, like, 30-plus years, and so I grew up in, like, military housing, and there's definitely, like, especially even around here, like, places where there's just, like, set-aside, like, fields in the canyon near the high school or whatever, Mm. it's familiar in a way that I didn't expect. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was filmed in uh, LA, so... (laughs) Well, there you go. It's nearby. (laughs) That's close enough to where I am. And I have to give a shout out to the amazing camera work that's going on because it gets a little frenetic once the music Mm -hmm. kicks in. I Mm -hmm. love the shot that like is supposed to look like it's point of view from someone being tackled. Yeah. When it like spins. It's so cool. I love stuff like that. It's so cool. And we don't get a lot of I'm trying to think if we get anything like that. But we've seen the camera kind of be involved in the action before when they are in Japan and they gas Colonel Mm. Merrill. Oh yeah. And the camera like blurs and fuzzes out to black and then when it comes back it's like you know it's as if you're seeing through his eyes as he passes out and then regains consciousness Mm -hmm. and then it like it flashes with the camera flashes so i you know there's some really cool weird stuff happening in this movie I'm always fascinated with, like, directors that are willing to put the camera in the eyes of someone on on set. Uh, It doesn't happen super often unless you have, like, a quote-unquote found footage movie or something. And even that's not directly in the eyes of, like someone in the movie it's interesting it's it's something that's like way more interesting than what i expected to see in a movie like this (laughs) (laughs) where the director is taking like a way more creative approach to something that like i could see on my tv every sunday yeah and i wonder if it was altman being like well i have to do the football scene so i'm gonna do it my way (laughs) especially because it's like such a brief moment it's a very specific thing yeah and he does say at one point that because you never see combat in this movie like you see the after effects of it Mm. but you don't see like war fighting yeah they're always behind the lines and altman said in his director's commentary that all these injuries all these guys being carried off in stretchers with blood smeared across like like they're supposed to stand in for actual casualties of war like this is the battle of the movie I think this is actually, now that you say that, I think that this is actually a very interesting way to represent what's happening, like, outside the boundaries of the show. Because I don't think I've ever, I've watched a bunch of disparate episodes of this show, and I've never seen combat on the show. Uh, I'm sure it probably happened at some point, but, like, none of the episodes that I've seen just 
airing on TV when I'm flipping channels have been about like frontline stuff. Yeah, and it's never frontline. There is technically engagement, but it's mm. usually like someone's on patrol. Yeah. Or they go out to an aid station, so they're like right at the front or just yeah, about. And, but yeah, but even then, they're behind the line. Yeah, like, that's right behind the line still. The but. Sh- because the show is about medical units, right? So it is what's mm-hmm. happening like while the people are fighting. This is the people that are holding the like their foot back. Yeah, and it and it makes it. Oh, I just have to give a shout out to. It's got to be bug out, but it's a two parter where the line is moving, but Hawkeye has a patient who's had spine like spinal <gasps> oh, surgery yeah. and can't be moved, Ooh. and so and he refuses to move. Right? Yeah, he can't. He can't be moved, and they're like, "Well, he has to." And Hawkeye, being of course like the end all be all of doctors, is like, "No, yeah. I'll stay with him." And Radar and Margaret end up staying with him too, and they literally pack up the camp around them. I like, like that. At the end, they're sitting in like, like two by lot. fours n- with like one chair next to this patient's bed, like holding the mugs of coffee that they were left. And it is, it's eerie. I and should of give course, show Margaret more is scared because like, you know, she's hearing like, oh, I've heard horrible things like the Chinese yeah. are coming. And it's just like, man, it's it's very visceral for a mash episode. Mm. And like, obviously, the whole packing up and coming back is full of jokes and ha ha yeah, ha. Because it's a sitcom. It but if like that feeling of like, oh, the war is coming. <laughs> I know we've said we're at war this whole time, but now it's for real. <laughs> I'm always really fascinated, especially with a show that's like traditionally a sitcom being willing to to move their set to Mm. show that the plot of the world is changing because traditionally at least as far as my experience has been a sitcom episode starts and ends in the same place and yeah. there's stuff that happens during the course of the episode, but like you could tune it at any time without really having a context and being able to enjoy an episode. And so I'm always really fascinated with those shows that are willing to be like, no, the plot is going somewhere, even if it's moving slowly. Hmm. Yeah. I'm always like fascinated by that stuff. I am a fan as a person who grew up with like fantasy, uh, a fan of like big world changing events happening in the course of like the media I'm consuming. And so that's just maybe that, you know, it's probably a little biased, but I like stuff like that. Yeah. I, all right. I know what my plug is going to be. Oh. And I hope I am pronouncing it correctly. The Arcara. Or our A-R-C-E-R-A trilogy is by Liz Delton. Ooh. The first book is Meadow City. It's a trilogy. I've heard really good things about these. Really? Yeah. I mean, I work in a bookstore. I know. <laughs> I know, but, but the reason I'm saying really is I grew up with Liz Delton. Yeah. We went to camp together and we're friends. So. Wow, that's wild. <laughs> that's how I know her and read her books. It was yeah. like, oh, of course I'll buy one and help you out. And then it's like, no, these are really good. <laughs> because my, the store I work for is a genre fiction bookstore, like we have people coming in to order, even if it's something that we don't have on the shelves all the time, like very specific stuff like that. And so mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm certain I've had these books come through my hands at some point. Aww. Oh, that's amazing. Well, I yeah. definitely recommend. They're designed, you know, they're they're young adult, but it just means it's just a regular book and no, it reads totally. faster. Like, that's all. Like, young adult means nothing anymore, I think. Well, it's weird. Young adult had a very, very specific little window between mm. Harry Potter and Twilight. 
I think. It was, hey, this isn't a genre we're really like specifically writing for. It's just, here's kid literature that's also fantasy or whatever. And only in the last like 20 years has it become a genre you can go look at in a bookstore. It's expanded outward from that. There's a lot of people that are doing stuff in that in that window, but 90% of the folks that are coming in to buy YA titles are people that are like my age or older still, which is fascinating to me. Yeah, because in my library, like, I was recommending The Hate You Give to Adults, and they would be like, but it has a YA sticker. And I'm like, just ignore like, the sticker. Like, who cares? Just like, it's ignore such a the good, sticker. Uh, it's such a good book. Read it, read yes. it, read it. <laughs> yes. In the last, like, two weeks, we've had both Kirsten White and Marissa Meyer in our bookstore. Nice. And both of them are people who are very straight up writing YA stories, but they are some of the most interesting things I've read in the last couple of years. People neglect them because of the section they get put in, but, like, it's an arbitrary rank. It Genre is weird. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> it is. It's we have like yeah. these on my library. We have these. I want to get rid of them so bad because they're so old. But they're chiclet stickers. Yes, and oh they my have. God, yes, and it's so horrible because they have like a lipstick container on them. It's like oh, open, and it's wow. like so like. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's so cringeworthy. And I'm and I was joking that if we're gonna keep them, we need to have like a like a bro story. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just to, like, balance it out somehow, because I'm like, oh, oh it's goodness. just, oh, oh. It's so funny. It's, like, so bad. <laughs> just how it goes sometimes. I think, I, know. I think especially nowadays, like, I think because the majority of people that are, like, quote-unquote YA happen to be, like, young female authors tend to just get, like, dismissed by the larger literary community. And it's unfortunate because they're doing stuff that, like, people in fantasy and sci-fi have been afraid to touch for yeah. decades. I don't, I just, there are people at my bookstore that are way more well-versed in the genre, but I always feel really guilty when we have an author of a YA series in the bookstore. And they are, like, some of the coolest people I've talked to and I haven't read their books. There's, There's a lot so of good much stuff out there. Too. I think it will be really interesting to see, like, in 50 years, how is this age looked back on? Yeah. Like, the post-Harry Potter, you know, Harry Potter is such a, like, line in the sand. It's a landmark moment. Yeah. Right? Because when you were saying, like, about science fiction, I'm like, oh, yeah, because the golden age of science fiction is over. And I'm like, is it? Would you know if you were living in it? <laughs> it's weird. It's weird, especially because if people talk, especially with science fiction, if you're going to talk about what are, like, cultural landmarks of science fiction, it's still, like, Dune, which is <laughs> great, but also 45 years ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's, like, really good stuff. If you read Anne Leckie's uh, Ancillary series, those are incredible. And they're also dealing with social, uh, cultural concepts mm. that are way beyond what mainstream literary genre is doing. They're talking about, like, cultural identity and and gender dynamics and, and things that I think of most straight white male authors are afraid to touch and it's great it there's no it's not a surprise that the that that those books or things like um nk jemison series <gasps> yes. are winning the hugo and and the nebula because they're doing really good work in a genre that most of the people coming into the bookstore haven't been reading anything outside of like dj butler for the last 20 years <laughs> And not, no offense to DJ Butler, he's no, also yeah. doing good stuff, but it's a very different thing. Mm -hmm. It's a very different thing. 
I am very passionate that about this beautiful. subject. This I is know. my job. I love it. <laughs> Did not expect to be talking about this when I asked you to guest on. Um, I. Uh, it has <laughs> been a very emotional week for my bookstore, and I am very passionate about what we do. Oh. And, and this has definitely been on my mind the last couple weeks. We are a safe place to let it out. <laughs> yeah, it's been a lot. <laughs> it's that's a um that just reminded me because I know you said you hadn't seen Mash. Had you seen other Robert Altman movies? Like, did I, you know about I, him as a director? Uh, I know his name. <laughs> I'm going to look him up on IMDb right now and tell you if I've seen anything in his <laughs> roster. Okay. I'm just curious because he has a very different style. Like, he's yeah, all about... Yeah, I can definitely about... tell you that, like, he's someone that I've heard his name brought up, especially amongst, like, movies by minutes stuff. But I couldn't... If you asked me something he's directed, I could not tell you off the top of my head. So, so you've never seen um, a Prairie Home Companion starring Meryl Streep and Lindsay Lohan? I have absolutely never seen that movie. <laughs> it's his last film, and it's really weird. <laughs> That's fair. I'm scrolling through this list, and I don't think I've seen anything on it, <laughs> which is bizarre because, like, I've definitely heard his name in like a lot of things that have come up amongst, especially the movies by Minutes community. But I don't think I've watched any of his. Uh, any of the stuff that IMDb lists him as directing. Actually, maybe I've seen this Popeye movie. <laughs> <laughs> With Robin Williams and Shelley Duvall. I've definitely seen this. So you've seen that one. Might... One. <laughs> I've seen one. Woohoo! <laughs> I really wanted to mention it. This is also from his director's commentary. And I know I've quoted it in the Movies by Minutes community. Sure. He said... You see this picture, you see a film like this a couple of times, and each time you're seeing different things because you're looking in the corners, in the background, and every one of those people is doing something that's pretty interesting rather than just giving you a main focus. But that's just a philosophy of filmmaking that's, it's a style that I like. Uh, I feel comfortable with it. That doesn't mean all films should be done this way. No, all films should be done this way. <laughs> what are you talking about? Please, this is why we do movies by minutes. <laughs> the, when he said that, I like stopped. I was like, hit the pause, hit the pause. I need to write that oh, down. Oh, <laughs> that's so good. It's so exactly what we do. Yes, a hundred percent. Thank you, Mr. Altman. <laughs> Thank you. You read my mind. <laughs> this is why I love film. Like, I, I am definitely in the camp of like, let me watch this thing over and over again because... There's always something new to pull out of a, a movie. I worked in a movie theater for, God, like eight years. And I think I was like one of the few people who, when something I really liked came out, would watch it again and again and again. And like people would comment on, I'm coming in to see, and they're like, oh, are you watching this thing again? And I'm like, yeah, I am, because there's <laughs> still more to like see. How can you, how can you, I could not even like think about commenting on a movie that affected me after just one watch. Like, there's so much more to, like, pull from that, especially if it's something you walk out of and you're like, wow, that changed me somehow. Because I've definitely had that experience where I've watched something, like, I didn't expect. Sometimes you watch a movie for popcorn. It's a fun thing. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a one and done. You you had a good time and it's over. And then sometimes you walk out of a movie and you're like, I feel different. Mm -hmm. And those are things I would watch 
repetitively. There's always more to like pull from it in a way, especially if the director's someone who's like interested in that stuff, like it just digs even deeper. I love stuff like this. It was really good. <laughs> it makes me happy. It makes me very happy. Yeah. Did you want to comment anything else that came to mind with MASH? Like, mm, I, you, I you wish, mentioned this was not what you were expecting. I so. <laughs> honestly wish I had more to comment on. Like, I don't have a lot of... I'm not a very sporty guy. My grandfather bought season pass tickets to see the Carolina Panthers in North Carolina. Like, I think when the team was founded, like, I feel like he's been just, like, spending that money for decades now. I remember going to my first games with him when I was, like, eight, nine, something like that. And, like, there was a brief window of time where we lived close enough that he would just take me to games with him because he had the tickets. Everything I know about football comes from, like, going to sports to games with him because it's not a thing. You know, my parents would put it on on Sundays, but it was just like something in the background. I don't think anyone was ever like particularly invested, but uh, there's a lot of weird between like mash and football, a lot of weird like tying back to like me as like a little tot growing up, (laughs) hanging out with my grandpa that, uh, that this minute evokes. Oh yeah, it's like a it's a nice nostalgia thing. It's very dated. I'll get no. Just <laughs> I mean, it is, but I'm being a jerk doing yeah, that. Yeah, let me tell you, without the sweatshirts that say Mash on them, I would never know this movie was Mash. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want those sweatshirts. Anyway. <laughs> You can buy not that sweatshirt, but a similar sweatshirt, and it will technically say MASH on it by going to our <laughs> Tee Public store. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you go to mashminute.com and click on merch, uh, there's a link to our Tee Public store. And there's also a link to my uh, to my website, because I do technically have a Patreon, uh, onesteelsister.com. But yeah, I would just tool around on MASH. You know, the holidays are coming up. Yes. Get get your gifts. <laughs> this is coming out before the holidays, so I won't say what my father's getting for Christmas, just in case this is the one episode he decides to drop back <laughs> in for. <laughs> but, I hope it's I hope yeah. it's thematically relevant. Look, if your daughter has a podcast and you ask for a sweatshirt for Christmas, guess what? You're getting a sweatshirt from her podcast. Dun, dun, dun. Let me tell you should just you. expect that. <laughs> Working at a bookstore, if my sibling expects to get something that's not a book, they're bananas. <laughs> it's just happening. Just accept it. And uh, so, yeah, that's where you can find us. Gary, where can people find you? Uh, people can find me at harrypotterminute.com or duelinggenre.com, which has a bunch of other shows, including my the other one that Victoria and I did, Ferris Bueller's Minute. Uh, Ferris, I don't think that's at ferrisbuellersminute.com now that I say it, it might just all be under Dueling Genre. And realize, I know it's on the website. I don't remember if I have the domain name for that or not. Now that I think about it. <laughs> or you can find me on Scott Pilgrim Minute at patreon.com slash, I think it's just Dueling Genre. I also don't right. know that URL. Yeah. I am terrible. I was it's, not It's prepared. gotta be. It's gotta be because I'm a Patreon. Yeah. So, it's, yeah. It's, it's gotta be just Dueling Genre. If you go genre. to Patreon and search Dueling Genre, you'll find us. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, and I love the Dueling Genre Network. They have so much stuff. That oh my goodness, they have so love. many shows. I was so grateful. Like, you know, I found Star Wars Minute not long after it started. And then when Back to the Future Minute began, I started poking Scott like, hey, I, I like this thing you're doing. And then uh, I think it was right when they were wrapping up their second or third season where I was like, I think I want to do Harry Potter. And we got a bunch of good feedback of people being like, do it like do this thing like come join the i'm so grateful to them and their <laughs> network because they have a bunch of really cool shows uh back to the future cornetto minute teenage mutant ninja turtles toy story rocky lord of the rings there's a and bunch those of are just even... the movies by minute once <laughs> yeah yeah there's a lot of stuff on that website so please go check it out it's a good time yeah and then come back tomorrow and check us out again with another episode Woo. Oh, thanks so much, Gary. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm sorry it's been so long since we've recorded together. <laughs> it's always a blast. Uh...